Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm an amateur bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortis Fortney. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mind International, former competitive bodybuilder, and competitive powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild, a founder of LiftForHope.org, competitive powerlifter, and a very poor Highland Games athlete compared to our guest today. <laughs> um, we have Adrian Wilson, uh, blew it on. Uh, I guess. Do you go by three names now, or how do we... How well, do we I'm, I'm going by Adrian Wilson. That's what my new social security card says. Okay, well, and congratulations on that. Thank so, you. We haven't had you on the show since you've been married, but... No, yes. no. So I think Lonnie's got a little news, and then we're going to get it, get right into it, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I wanted to comment on last week's cortisol and weight loss question. Uh, as I was doing the editing on the show, listening to you guys... I was just, you know, itching to geek out a little bit. So uh, I actually even pulled up a paper, a uh, May 2012 paper, uh, to address this. But you guys did a great job talking about his strength loss. Uh, this is, again, the stressed out person. Uh, we're, and we're being anonymous on purpose. Uh, I think he's um, part of the USMC or something, but we'll just leave it at that. But I wanted to address specifically his weight loss because a 17-pound weight loss is actually um, possible to explain, believe it or not, in about two weeks. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a couple of numbers. I was just crunching on a notepad here. Uh, so if we do this very quickly and we, we assume that he was eating much less than normal. Now, he might be listening and thinking, oh, you guys, I, I did eat, you know, but let's assume not. Because like you guys were saying last week, when you're really stressed, it's not exactly a time when you're robust and hungry and your sex drive is up and your energy levels are up. You don't feel those things when you're under, you know, massive stress. So let's, let's just look at the weight loss perspective again, someone who's not really eating a lot and who's hyper metabolic. And I'm going to get to that in a second. So if an average muscular guy has like 400 grams of glycogen of carbohydrate stored in his muscles, and that's a decent estimate, and then maybe 90 or 100 grams more of glycogen in his liver, that's 500 grams, okay, and I'll convert this in a minute, 500 grams of stored carbs normally in his body when he's eating plentifully and, that, and now it's not there. So each gram of glycogen that you store in the human body requires three grams of water. So it's not very efficient, you know, um, storage like fat. So you're talking about 1,500 more grams of water. So that's, we got 2,000 grams. That's two kilograms that he could be emptied of. So that's four and a half pounds, almost five pounds right there, just from not eating very much and being carb depleted. So then let's throw in like the, um, the high cortisol and the hypermetabolism that usually goes with injury. Let's say he lost two pounds of muscle and two pounds of fat. That would be energetically possible. In other words, calorie wise on a daily basis, if his metabolism is ramped up like 25 or 30 percent, and that's really highly ramped up. I mean, even burn patients, you know, are usually more like 50 to 100 percent. So let's say a 30 percent ramp up in, in metabolic rate from all that stress and the, uh, adrenal stimulation and all that. So that's like 900 extra calories a day that he's burning off just from pure stress and hypermetabolism. Uh, so we got uh, like roughly five pounds of glycogen loss. We've got like four more pounds of muscle and fat loss. So we're up to nine pounds already. Then if we throw in something like a two or three percent general dehydration, because you're not drinking a lot and that sort of thing and thinking about that, that's five more pounds. So already we're up to 13, 14 pounds just in carbs and water. And then, like I said, just maybe two pounds or so of muscle and, and fat and as you, as listeners might know, you can't see two or three pounds of fat come on or off somebody. 
So it's not really a huge amount that wouldn't be coming back over the next couple of days. And you guys pointed that out, too, I think, when you're talking about, like, the uh, nervous system, you know, coming back. It's like not his strength didn't leave. It just took a little vacation, yeah. you know. And it's the same thing with the uh, the body. I can almost guarantee that after that period, there's some kind of rebound. As the glycogen comes back, he starts eating again. Water reenters his muscles and his liver. You know, he puts on a little bit of, um, you know, muscle and fat and all that sort of thing. Corrects any kind of dehydration. So you can fairly quickly just compute uh, and see how easy it is to actually get 14, 15 pounds of weight loss over a two-week period. Now, having said that, I'm going to share one little bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, this is from the uh, Public Library of Science, again, May 2012, uh, Jeschke and colleagues. But here's something that they did. I've never, or at least I haven't seen this very much before. They took human beings, and uh, these were burn patients because they, be, you know, that's a very severe injury. This is a 30% or worse body surface area burn. They became wildly hypercortisolemic. Uh, and they gave them a drug, uh, it's, I think it's an antifungal, called uh, ketoconazole, and it really did crush the cortisol right out of their body. It prevents cortisol synthesis. So they had an eight-fold rise, an 800% increase in uh, urinary cortisol, and this ketoconazole just wiped it out. But here's what's interesting, because cortisol gets a lot of heat mm. for being a bad guy, and in many ways it is. I know Rob was pointing out immune suppression and all the terrible things that stress does to your body, but... Um, both groups in this study, now these were kids, now I admit, they're like 10 years old. But again, they're human beings at least. And what they did was, interestingly, they looked at highly stressed, physically stressed uh, human beings, and then they blocked the cortisol and they looked at what happened. Both groups were markedly hypermetabolic. In this study, they were about 50% higher than normal, not the 30% that I was sort of playing around with before with my calculations, but 50% hypermetabolic. It says normalization of the hypercortisolemia with the ketoconazole therapy had no effect on whole body catabolism that they could measure or on the inflammatory or hypermetabolic response, suggesting that hypercortisolemia does not play a central role in this type of injury response. So just interesting stuff. In this case, it looks like it might be cytokines or, I feel like you pointed out last week, you know, high adrenaline levels or other types of stress hormones, but you can't just pin it on cortisol. Uh, and, in fact, it, when you look at the full paper, which I took the liberty of doing, they actually only lost a pound or two uh, in the one to three weeks after, you know, the, the burn. But, anyway, so hopefully that sheds some light on the fact that you can, in fact, easily lose 15 pounds or so, a, a, a good-sized man anyway, uh, just within a, a matter of days to just a couple of weeks after an injury uh, or, you know, massive physical stress. And you guys were, I think, were correctly pointing out that, the body's acute phase response is pretty nonspecific. It's a stress response regardless of the insult. Um, but anyway, so I just wanted to offer some numbers for him, uh, geek out a little bit there and share some recent data. You're starting to see a lot of the cortisol is coming back again. You're seeing supplement companies and stuff boast, boast about cortisol a lot again. They, they were a few years back. Well, at least this paper suggests that it just wasn't central. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying it doesn't. I mean, cortisol's job, and I think a lot of listeners know, is to break down muscle tissue and get it into your blood. 18 of the 20 amino acids actually are glucogenic. They become blood sugar. So cortisol's job is to chew up muscle and turn it into blood sugar so your brain can, can function, right? I mean, your body's going to obviously prioritize your brain over your muscle mass. So cortisol's no, no, it's not a friend of your muscles, but at, at least, you know, in this situation, it looks like, like you're saying, Phil, maybe that, the kind of muscle industry stuff gets overstated. Mm -hmm. Because here yeah. it's probably like, uh, cytokines or something else that's very catabolic. I think people forget that the immune system is hugely involved with all this. And yeah. it's not just cortisol bad, testosterone good kind of thinking, you know. Yeah. So. The, the companies tend to take one thing and make it an enemy and go a little, little overboard. I think it's similar to what you see with a lot of books. I think books are as guilty as supplements. They have a reader hook, you know, why yeah. why everybody's fat or why everybody's yeah. whatever, you know, and, and they over-dramatize that one thing. What do you got, Rob? Well, no, I just <laughs> have that email that I uh, was telling you guys about that I got earlier this week from one of our listeners who uh, proposed an interesting idea that I wrote him back and told him that I would bring up on this show just because I think it was... It's uh, it's more interesting for our listeners to actually hear us maybe banter about it a little bit. 
Um, it's a pretty lengthy email, but generally he's talking about... Uh, well, I'll read it and see what you guys think. Um, I participated in the health screening at his work. Um, anyway, he, does, he got his blood work numbers done, and uh, he was really, really, really on the good side. Um, so he's saying, as I walked around the office the rest of the day, I kept overhearing co-workers discussing how they intentionally dodged the health screenings, blah, 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 blah. And he was... Um, and he would start to think more and more highly of his own sterling results. And then he was uh, then he was talking about he would uh, actually hoping people would engage me about the results of my tests so I could brag about them. And it was then that I realized something awful. I had become smug healthy. Um, smug marrieds are folks who are super happy to be married, constantly telling everyone about it and looking down those who aren't. So you can know, understand what smug healthy is. Anyway... Um, Personal revelation thought, I wonder what your opinions would be on this. I am reminded of something either Phil or Fortress said, but the um, society into the we are awesome crowd that don't give a shit reminder. Um, certainly smug healthies aren't helping anything by being smug, but where does pride in one's hard work become an attitude problem? Like you guys, I believe in striving for excellence with a Viking-like bravado, and I always tell myself that it's better to extol one's virtues than to be fair, falsely modest. I lived in the gym very, very close to WWE World Headquarters, and I loved the looks on the balloon animals' faces when they get lifted, outlifted by a hobbit, me. But am I any different? I guess the question is, where does pride end and smugness begin? So. I think you see that a lot in every sect. There's there's people that are strong people that are that way. There's It's, it's usually the newer people. It's like they're, they're newly into health, and they they're all fired up about it, and then they get these good numbers, mm-hmm. and they, then they want to go extol it to the world, how awesome they are. And then you, you get a few years under your belt, and you just kind of learn to, to shut up, and yeah. if somebody asks me, then I'll, I, then I'll tell them. I, 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 I quit wasting my time. Also, if I may jump in, I think a lot of it is uh, when someone experiences success in their program, they want everybody to feel as good as they do, and yeah. they, don't, they don't care if their you know, enthusiasm is just you know, breaking someone else down is just, yeah. okay, yeah, I see you doing your well, but it's not going to work for me. And I, I think that's another reason why some people just, just shake their head when someone's out with a new product that, that actually worked for them or that their lifestyle changed uh, was just the way to go and it may not be for somebody else. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I had responded in email that, you know, you, there's a couple of movies that I think are good examples of, you know, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, pride and even haughtiness, but not like, you know, bragging and boasting either. Like if you watch movies like 13th Warrior, those guys were Vikings, but they were not braggarts. You know, they were very robust, very rich health and all that sort of, or like Last Samurai, you know, these are good examples, I think, of, uh, or even the movie 300 we talked about in the past. All these are examples of guys who are very sort of, uh, superior in a way, but they're not you know, running around boasting about how awesome they are to everybody else and nobody wants to hear it kind of thing. You know, so quiet confidence, I think, is, is the best mm-hmm. kind of confidence. Anyway. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's also a case of, like, you know, humans want to stand out in some capacity. Um, you know, because there's so, yeah, but there's, I so think there's so many of us, you know, that I think e- even if you don't go around boasting, there's a certain thought in your head that, you know, you're more educated than somebody else, or you know more about cars than somebody else, or you're stronger than somebody else, or you're. You, it, it's. I don't think you can, you can really deny that part of, um, you know, the species. Um, and I don't. Again, I don't. It's really sort of maturity. You know, yeah, as, I think as you get more mature, you you. Uh, it, it just gets a little bit old. Like, oh, I can bench three fifteen. After you do that for a while, okay, great. And then after a while, it's like, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, if you want to impress me, don't tell me. Just show me. <laughs> yeah, actions speak louder it. than words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but no, I think that's right. Uh, now, our, our our summer drive contest, Monty. We're gonna talk about that a little bit. Uh, uh yeah. The, well, I and you can fill in the gaps here, Phil. But yeah. What I was hoping to do as we sort of you know slowly kick this off is if we can get um, a listener uh, to become a supporting member. It's four dollars a month, and then get one of his buddies to do it. Uh, and then just, you know, be forthright and let us know. Then I was talking to Phil, and, and we can get uh, T-shirts made and, like, a little thank you. Uh, so, again, I know summer months are tough, and, you know, people are running in different directions and that sort of thing. But 
just a little enticement, a little thank you. Again, if you can become a, a supporting member and get one buddy to join in and then let us know, um, Phil will whip up a cool T-shirt for you. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll get another option. I can, I can print off and frame last year's Christmas card and I'll sign it for him. <laughs> I, I wouldn't opt for that one. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I can look at that on my computer screen every time I call you. I know. It's great. So, um, that's about it. Uh, Adrian, again, good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me again. It's great to be back. Yeah, how have things been? It's been a little while. Oh, they've been uh, great. Um, ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> um, since we last spoke, um, I was coaching at Tiffany University uh-huh. and um, met my husband, and we started. Um, we started. We started dating. I decided to um, resign from my position at Tiffany University in Ohio and moved down to South Carolina. And so when I did that. Um, in my move, I was able to fill my position with my former athlete, who is doing a wonderful job at Tiffin. And I just got back from uh, working at John Godino's track camp there, and it just seems like things are going very well at Tiffin. But um, also, I just I had a great conversation with my husband. He says, "You know what? Why don't you come down here, train for the year, the Olympic year, and do everything you can to make the Olympic team?" So that's what I did this past year. I uh, I moved down at the end of August. I had a couple of Highland games at the end of the season, and then it was full-blown, just shot-putting for the entire year. And um, I ended up having a, a decent year in the shot-put. It was a, kind of a slow start. I um, had a, an okay indoor season. I found a couple of meets down in South Carolina, but I was having some issues with my back. Uh, turns out that I, um, after many, many years of being an omnibus glider, I created a lot of uh, inflammation in my low back, and I finally went to get an MRI, and they told me that I had a PARS defect in my L4, and uh, that, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily from an incident recently, or um, it really could have been something that happened when I was younger. I could have been born with it. So this, this little stress fracture was just being irritated, and I was surrounded by a lot of um, inflammation, which made it difficult to turn and get into a proper power position for the shot put. And so I had to reevaluate a few things. So oh. um, I was I managed to get hooked up with a fantastic GC guy, um, and he just basically taught me how to stand, taught me how to sit. So being able to engage my my uh, my torso in a way that was more stable and um, put a lot less strain on my neck and my back, and I was able to kind of get back into the swing of things. I was not allowed to squat. I could only do um, some 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 lunges, uh, but I was able to do my Olympic lifts, which was was big. <laughs> and throughout my training, I um, I I just started squatting just uh, three weeks ago, so I had to do everything without um, my major back squat, my front squat, my my jerks. I I couldn't have any compression in my spines. Yeah. I experienced a lot of pain there. Um, so working with my trainers, working with my PT guy, and just some of the things that I've done over the years, I managed to bump up my, my speed mark to about seven feet for the trials. And I, I went in ranked 14, which is a little bit higher than I have the last couple of years, but I, you know, there's a lot of young kids coming out these yeah. days. Um, so I, I, I went in there with a positive um, outlook, and I really believed uh, in my heart that I was I was ready to go. And mm-hmm. the Olympic A standard is 50 feet one inch, and my best is 50 feet half inch. So I knew I needed to have at least a PR mm-hmm. and finish in the top three. So this year in the women's shop has been just outstanding. There's been so many collegiate throwers that have gone over 60 feet. Uh, Atia Brooks even went over 19 meters, which is, is phenomenal. And it's just it, it's really cool to see how far along you know women's shop can come in the United States. I think they're finally becoming more competitive internationally. Uh, so I had to go up again. Yeah. <laughs> but as I get to using, uh, my training was going really well. I, I felt good. I found out that my usual training I've been doing the last 10 years wasn't working for me. And so I uh, made sure to have longer days in between throwing days. And the lifting was, was set up correctly. And I felt I felt good going into the gym. Um, day one of the qualifier, I was very flat. Uh, during my warm-up, so I was just surprised just how not far it was going. <laughs> and I, I just managed to eat through, and I, I was 
defense going into the, uh, the second day. And the way the Olympic trials are set up is that there are uh, 24 possible athletes in the field. They'll have two fights, and each athlete gets three throws. Okay. And once uh, those athletes get their three throws, if they if they surpass the, the qualifier mark, they, they're done for the day. They just qualify for the next day. But if you are struggling to make that qualifier mark, they'll just fill the field up to 12 athletes the next day. And the next day is the finals, but you uh, the 12 athletes that made it through start with a clean state. And so none of the marks from the day before count. And um, I believe that they would have counted if they needed it for a Olympic standard, the standard that the girls who threw that far already have qualified. Um, so in the finals, um, I actually felt a lot better than the day before. I felt I got a lot more pop. Um, my stand throw was about uh, 47 feet. And that's, that's pretty good for me. Um, usually I would uh, have at least a seven foot conversion, so I was guaranteed in my, in my mind at least a 54 foot throw on, a, on just a, you know, like a pocket throw. And, uh, so I was pretty, pretty pleased with that. And, um, my coach, uh, Ray Robinson was up in the stands. I was looking at him during my warm ups and he's like, looks good, you know. And I was throwing about 1750 and that's very comfortable for me. I, I like throwing there. <laughs> Especially in a warm-up. Um, in the past, I've always been what I consider a gamer. And it doesn't really matter. I'm not a very big practicer. I, 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 I feel pretty in practice. I don't really have that, that much gear in practice when it comes to times for competition. That's when I feel like I'm much stronger. Mm-hmm. And so, warm-up at 54, okay. Warm-up at 57, okay. I feel I feel really good. I mean, 57 is there. I, I feel good. I... I I'm at the Olympic trials, my, my adrenaline's high, and I'm, you know, there's no pain, which was a big thing. And, um, first throw is a, is a safe throw. It's way too safe. Um, and I was, you know, ranked seventh after the first round. And I thought, okay, well, I, I just gotta, you know, bump it up a little bit. Second throw, just a little bit too much, I rushed the finish, and, uh, just kind of boop. That's the way I can describe it. <laughs> and so in my mind, I, I'm, I'm ready for my, my next three throws in finals. The third throw was, was all set for me. And so I'm in the back doing my little drills and just, you know, not really paying attention to the competition and the competition. I was just paying attention to what I was doing. You know, trying to stay within my brain and just, you know, focus. So my third throw goes, third, uh, my third turn comes up and I go through. I, I think it's a very pretty throw. I watched it after. It was a very pretty <laughs> but just didn't have the gas behind it. And it was, you know, just right around where my first throw was, and, and that was it. And it's the most uh, disappointing moment where you know that you're done for the year, yeah. you know, the next four years, and, yeah. you know, all that hard work, all this support, and, you know, gone. But, you know, I looked around, and, you know, all the other girls, they looked like they were struggling, too. I, I don't know... If it was the atmosphere, if you know, it was up to me. So I can remember when I was a collegiate thrower at the big shows. You know, all these those collegiate throwers were just getting everybody ramped up and just excited. And and I looked around and it was very flat. You know, just all the other competitors were just very quiet. They didn't throw, watch other people. You know, and, yeah. and I don't know if that's something that I could have contributed to, but I was just so concerned about what I was doing that I didn't care about what other people were doing. Um, and to be honest, I, I think that uh, the women's shopper was um, kind of a surprise. I, I know that Jill Williams has been nonstop, just um, incredible all year, um, signing American indoor and outdoor American records. And um, even her first throw, she's doing 57 feet. So it was, you know, pretty surprising when she turned 65 this year that her first throw was 57. And uh, I think that was just how the, the tone was for the entire Olympic trials. I was only there for the second half. My mom was there to the first half as well. And she's like, you know, it was strange. You know, some people just had just the one throw, and that's what, what made it through. And it wasn't a big, you know, on the edge of your seat until, you know, I, I do believe the men's just it was pretty small while watching the final um, throw. I got to see Lance make the, make the team. Um, but it was just, uh, I was looking around. I was kind of in... A day, I can't, I can't believe yeah. it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can imagine. You know, but you know, in, in hindsight, I, I always try to look at the positive side of it, and 
yes, I, I was having a, a, a bit of a, a rough year uh, physically, and I found out that uh, I needed to do better on a cortisone shot. <laughs> yeah. And um, revamping and, and making sure I, I learned how to take care of my body a little better. And it's back to Highland Games for me now. So it's been great. Uh, I had about a week of Highland Games throwing before <laughs> I left for Portland. And uh, I, I threw I threw well. I was pretty pleased with how I threw my, my heavy event. So now it's Highland Games season. Uh, I'm not going to do too much traveling after this. I'm going to be going up to Southern California for um, the big Highland Game over Labor Day weekend. And maybe a couple of games nearby in South Carolina. But I think I'm... Take it easy for this year. <laughs> gotcha. Gear up for the uh, World Championship in February in Phoenix again, huh? I believe so. It'll be my fourth attempt at a title there. There you go. Yeah. Sounds good. That's always a fun game. So maybe. Oh, man, it's always a blast. Yeah. They put on a good show there. But we'll take a break real quick, and then we will uh, bring up the topic of the day. Wonderful. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, we're back, and again we have uh, Adrian Wilson with us, and they had her, had her join us again. I think this is the third or fourth time we've had her on. We're going to talk about um, Highland Games and throwing, but a little different swing out of here. We wanted to talk about what people are doing right in the weight room and wrong in the weight room as, as, as far as throwers go, heavy events and track and field, and just uh, we're going to let you run with it, Adrian, and we'll just chime All in. All right. Oh. Well, um, I know in my experience that I had uh, a very strong background in, in weight training for track and field that converted very easily to my highland game. Um, I did a lot of deadlifts, Olympic lifts, you know, the benching, the, uh, all sorts of just complex movements that, you know, relate well to throwing a 56-pound weight from men, you know, for distance. Um, I see that a lot of newcomers, they'll just dive right into those big lifts and I think they need to spend a little more time just, you know, making sure their body is functional for, for moving that kind of weight. Uh, there's been a lot of little injuries I see with new people um, who don't have that kind of background. If they were, you know, they weren't a football player, they did, they didn't compete in any of the sports. They just kind of fell upon the Highland Games, which is awesome because I mean anybody can compete, and yeah. it's always just all about how far you throw against yourself. Uh, so that's that's not the big issue. Just you know, in preparation for the games, I think you know former athletes have a little bit of an edge just because they have that um, just that experience already. But for the new people, my recommendation would be to you know make sure that you have flexibility. Make sure that you can actually spend more than an hour in a weight room actually doing something instead of you know walking around and chatting. <laughs> Uh, just that endurance may not be there. Just to, you know, it's important to get your basic lifts, learn how to use them correctly, and not so. You know, Adrian, if I can ask, just yeah. out of curiosity, so if if people are going to get functional, 
with, how do they do that then, in your opinion, without diving into the big lifts? Like you said, they dive right into mm-hmm. some of the big lifts. W- what do you suggest or what, what would be smart for them to be doing before they do that? Well, I know functional is such a touchy word in any type of weight training just because there's functional weakness, functional strength, functional, you know, modalities of some sort. But uh, my function is just basically can you do a single leg squat without any weight? Can you, do you have the balance to do that? Um, if you can do single leg squats, maybe it's a little bit better to, you know, add a little weight to single leg squats before you can actually put a, a weight on your back. And can you squat down like a baby? Can you make sure your spine is, is pretty straight? You're not hunched over and doing a good morning like I used to squat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so just a lot of things, doing them without weight to see how your body is, is actually aligned and, and if there's any muscle imbalances that may cause that to be imbalanced. And um, I, I really I really like where I'm, I'm working out at Athletes Arena in Irmo. Um, the coaches there on staff are, are very thorough. They put everybody through uh, just a, a, a screening before they're even for their, their program. And they work with, you know, all sorts of athletes from, you know, high school athletes even to just your average Joe who wants to just get in better shape. And I, I really enjoy watching their evaluations because of how um, if you hop on one foot, are you unstable on one foot and stable on the other? It's, that's very important in the highland games. You're going to be, you know, airborne with a heavy implement while you're trying to turn and land a drop. So it's, it's just the complex movement that um, you can't really duplicate in the weight room with a weight. I mean, you can do net ball work and that sort of thing, but um, to actually get out and perform and execute a throw, it takes a lot more body awareness, awareness than, than some people have. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I usually start just with the basics. You know, I like free weights. I, I don't really use a whole lot of machines. Um, just because I like how free weights make you use your, your stabilizers. Um, dumbbell benching. It's, it's great to help them figure out where their elbows need to be, you know, based on their grip. Um, I, I do I do like kettlebells for some exercises. Um, it's, like swings are great, but uh, it's, it's sometimes a little bit challenging to teach just like a kettlebell snatch. Um, mm-hmm. Shoulder stability sometimes is just not there, um, and a lighter weight to give you a better idea. Um, but as far as you know, designing a, a program for a new person. It's really just making sure that they're able to just handle their own body weight for a lot of exercises. Um, I love seeing if uh, a young kid can do a pull-up. I mean, if it's one of the most simple exercises you can do, you can do just about anywhere. Um, and I'm actually quite surprised at how many athletes that, that come through like can. They, they can do a, a decent pull-up, and I, I start building from there. Well, I think I think one thing that you touched on that's, that's pretty interesting and, and something that I push it's you get this whole new group of people coming out, and um, they seem amazed that like they can't do the same program as this person, this person, this person. And they, <laughs> like I got people walk into my to my facility here, and they're amazed that it's like I program them different than the other people, and it's like mm-hmm. because I program people individually and. It's like, you mean we don't have a cookie cutter program we can all do together? And it's like, that used to be the standard. And now it's like, I don't know, I I guess people could blame it on CrossFit or they could blame it on all this group training stuff where everybody's seemingly doing things in a group and we all do the same thing. We work together and this and that and they're kind of shocked that, okay, well, you're weak here, so why am I going to have you do this? Yeah, you know what, Phil? I see so many parallels with nutrition, too. I think part of the, the problem in both like uh, co- coaching or exercise science and nutrition is books tend yeah. to, like we were saying before we hit record, you know, they, they've got a w- one-size-fits-all kind of approach, a reader hook, you know, mm-hmm. this is yeah. your problem, this is what you need. And I've, I've actually talked to a couple of big publishers, and they're like, well, here's your reader hook, Lonnie, this is what you have to say is the, at fault. I'm like, but that's that's not at fault. I mean, nutrition is uh, working with clients is the same thing as coaching. People are individuals. They have different genetics, yeah. different lifestyles, different enablers and saboteurs you know in, in their in their mm-hmm. household you know and all this kind of stuff uh, sleep habits or uh, emotional states are they type a personality are they you know whatever and to say that this is what you should do 
It seems ridiculous. You know what I mean? And I think that's what a lot of people don't want to do with these online diet programs or coaching programs is they want to say you're a type A, B, or C, mm-hmm. but there are a hundred different things, a thousand that makes people, mm-hmm. you know, require uh, individual attention. I mean, when you go to a doctor, you don't want him to just give you some, you know, oh, you're a type C. Here, you do this. You want him <laughs> to actually get some, you know, do a physical, yeah. do some blood work and go from there. You know, you're an individual. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I do I, have a hard time. I, I will have some people ask me for some advice on their workouts, you know, and they live a dozen miles away. And it's, it's, I, I am always hesitant just because I'd like to be there. You know, I'd like to yeah. see how they're actually performing the exercise and, and, you know, just, you know, seeing it is, is so much better than just writing a little program to you. Oh, you'll be part of it. <laughs> exactly. And that's the tough part. Where do we, where do you, um, think, let's say you have a new person. Totally new to the weight room, to throwing, to everything. And let, let's take the difference in between somebody wants to take up one of your classic track events, and then the other person wants to take up one of take up Highland Games. Mm-hmm. Where would the training differ for each, or would it? Um, some of it would be, well, of course, just the technical aspects of each event. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's just talk narrow it down to weight room stuff, even. Weight room stuff. I would um, actually have the Highland athletes do just a few more reps. Of, um, I mean, instead of doing like a six to eight bracket, maybe an eight to ten. You know, just just a little more endurance because when you're throwing the Highland Games, you're all day. Yeah. You have you know seven, eight, nine events, um, at least three throw in each event. Sometimes the height events will be more, so you're going to have a long day of competition. Track and field, you're training for one one event. You have mm-hmm. three or six throws, and I mean that's that's the one thing that you need to worry about. But also in track and field, you want to you want to work on that. I mean, for those three or six goals, you want to be as fast as possible, as strong as possible for those six seconds (laughs) total. Um, Highland Games, you still want to have that power, you want to have that speed, um, but you have to elongate it throughout the entire day or two days in some competitions. And so just that kind of endurance is uh, a little bit more of a focus than than in track and field. Would you say the loads in the heavy events require you to be... uh Stronger, maybe max strength wise, or no? I think I think I think so. Um, I think I've gotten by um, just with the same strength I have for track and field, only because I also did the hammer and the discus and a little bit of javelin too. So I was well, and you're like you jacked back. too. So I mean, you're like <laughs> <laughs> so. I work out. Yeah. <laughs> I like to work out. Yeah, um, so that helped me too. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> um, but the, the track and field, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to, to move quickly, but again, it's just the, the time there. It's, 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 you don't have to use that kind of, um, as, as much as you would for the game. Right now, I'm concerned about my endurance. I think it's pretty low. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try to modify my workouts um, to incorporate, you know, Less rest time, so I can increase my my cardio throughout my my weight training. Run. I'm not a runner. I don't I don't like to run. The only thing I'm kind of running I'll do is maybe just you know a, a skip. You know, this is a warm up. I don't I don't do that. So I have to incorporate my cardio in a weight room, and then so that's how I build up my endurance. No, I think that's one of the biggest things that hit me the first games I did. It was you know I came from a powerlifting background, strongman background, and you know you have a competition that lasts. You know, nine lifts in powerlifting, and you know maybe three three events in strongman where you do it once, and it's it was the all day of the uh, mm. of the Highland and out in the sun. You know, the outdoor part is great, but you know you get out there in the hot sun and you're out there from nine in the morning to five at night, <laughs> and uh, it, it can it can beat on you. You know, and and then I don't know why they do it. Probably out of out of purpose. You know, you leave the weight over bar and. Caber for last usually, and you know, so you. I got think they're the most visually stimulating for the audience, so yeah, they, they know it, when it's good because it goes over the box. <laughs> exactly, and it's like so we got our two heaviest things last, um, but uh, no, it's 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 great. Um, what would you say say throwing wise? Let, let's say you got a new person. I've, I've been talking to. I have a couple people that are taking it up now, and they're kind of asking me what they should do. What would you say like an average throwing week would look like for for somebody that's looking to take it up recreationally? For the first time, what, what would you suggest? Hours, days? I'd say um, mostly, you know, if you can get out two nights a week and pick two events each time, 
that'll that'll keep that rotation going. If you can get three nights out, that's even better. Uh, but you know, a couple a couple things to get from it. Like I, I like doing my hammer and weight over bar. You know, they're they're not necessarily working like a rotation. Um, but I, I do like um, like I I have a, a caber I can I can pick. I can't turn it because it's broken. But I can <laughs> I can just pick a caber and maybe I'll do a stone that day. Um, it's it's not overwhelming if you're only working two events. Um, and if you're getting frustrated with one, you can just go to the next one. You know, it's 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 a, an easier training tool when you don't have to worry about okay Saturday we're going to meet with so and so and the group of you know friends and for all nine events it's yeah. it's just like doing a game. It's hard to get a lot of practice in, so I say you know you know spread it out throughout the week um, if you have the time to just dedicate an hour hour and twenty minutes. You know. Uh, just two events. Yeah. Hey, I've got a question. If if I can ask, so Adrian, if uh, if somebody's going to go throw, let's say for for Highland Games twice a week, would you have them do that on a day that they didn't lift otherwise, so they could be fresh, or does it matter? Uh, well, actually, lately um, we did have a, a young gentleman who's a, a football player for USC um, in South Carolina come out and join us, and he just started going right after we were done lifting. So we, mm-hmm. we started lifting first. Uh, just because one thing just hot outside of South Carolina, <laughs> and so we lift first and then go out and throw. Um, I, I think that it, it would be, you know, just beneficial to throw. It doesn't really matter before or after you lift. I mean, before you lift, you're gonna be fresh, but after you lift, you're gonna have to really force your feet and your, and your legs to get in the right position. So you don't and think there's any higher than. So no concern then that somebody be fatigued and maybe learn some poor motor patterns or something if they try to do it after they trained with weights. Um, I mean that can be a concern, but when you're when you're a beginner, it's, it's, you're not going to be moving as fast or, or <laughs> as you should be anyway. So it's, it might slow things down a little bit to help get position. Okay. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing that's from me helping out people in the beginning and with myself. It's the biggest thing. It's just the footwork and stuff. It's the thousands of reps at simple technique and that's what my hard part explaining to people here is like don't try and throw hard no just slow it throw easy (laughs) and try and do it right and that's so hard to do when you come from a weightlifting background because it's like sure there's a lot of form and powerlifting and olympic lifting but generally if you go harder you get better results and it's the opposite (laughs) it's like in golf the minute you swing really hard at a golf ball, you slice it. It's the same way in throwing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. um, exactly. so, and that, that's a hard thing. Do less. <laughs> do less. <laughs> yeah, I've been yelled at myself in, in different sports where they're like, you know, look at your, you know, your face, you're scowling, you're, you're exerting mm-hmm. like, you know, 99% back down, back down, step away from the cliff, you know. Yeah. If you're throwing with your right arm, your left arm is just as tense. You know, you have to have that balance there too. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, you're right, Phil. If you come from a power or bodybuilding kind of background when you're used to, uh, going very intense and exhausting yourself or whatnot, it's really hard to, you know, finesse something, I think. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and that was my big thing. I mean, it was, uh, uh, who was it out there? It was, um, Mike Sussmark and then was, was helping me out in Phoenix and, um, Andrew Hobson. And, oh, a uh, pizza order. There's yeah, that's the yeah, pizza. <laughs> um, Phil, know, Phil makes I, pe- Phil makes pizzas in his spare time. So when I move oh, the egg class, yeah, while he's talking, pizza. he's mixing dough. I deliver all. worldwide. Worldwide, <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are. I, I sent seventeen hundred pizzas to London. This is getting that. elaborate. Uh, <laughs> so we're the only company that goes worldwide. But anyways, um, no, it's my big thing is, and it's still mine. I, I lack technique. I lack some of the mobility, and you know, Mike. I was I was, boy, I think I was throwing in Prescott, and it was going well, and it was I was I was set up to win in, in the B class and go to the A class, and then he just told me on my last throw, he said just just get out there and freaking throw it hard because my technique was pretty much crap, anyways, and you know that's how I made it to A class. It was just I, I muscled my <laughs> way in, and I was able to beat people, but that's because my power background. And then I get to A class, and it's like that's eh, not gonna work. <laughs> Your barbaric My barbaric, so yeah, I can't go all, uh, you know, Braveheart on, on the Highland Games and expect to win. I've, I've, it's, it's backing down and learning how to actually do it. And that's, that's really hard to do, especially when you're an athlete that comes from ranked fairly high 
in another sport and coming to a new sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, back off, buddy. You know, it's time, time to learn oh. the ropes. And getting people, it's hard to get the general population to do that. Everybody wants to come in and, and go hard and do well from the start. And they don't want to put in 10,000 reps. And I think that's the big thing. Patience is so hard. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe another one that's hard is just convincing people that it, it helps to be a little heavier. It helps to carry some muscle and and things like that. And you get some people that kind of battle that in the heavy in the heavy uh, events. And uh, well, let me ask a naive question to both Phil, you and Adrian. So then, if carrying extra mass and being jacked is is good, which I think we all agree, you know, in in, in these sports. <laughs> so if that's good, <laughs> but then millions of reps over the you know course of, of months and years is also good. Like, where do you draw the line? Like, what percent is skills practice versus, you know, building mass? Is it 50-50 or, you, you know what I mean? Because you're almost saying two opposite things. On one side, you're saying build lots of mass and, you know, really exert. And mm. then you're I also saying spend lots of time not exerting. So, like, is it a 50-50, like two nights a week with skills no. practice and two nights a week with strength? Or how do you how, how do you draw the line there? I'll go first for me because it's easy for me. Okay. Um, I am... I am probably over strong and very under technical. So I mean, if I really, when I really decide I'm going to take Highland serious, I need to do about 10% weight room and 90% throwing <laughs> because that, that's just it's very individual. Like we were talking about the other stuff, you know, I am technically crap, um, and but my strength. I mean, I don't think there's many Highland Games athletes out there that are deadlifting close to 800 pounds. I mean, I've only got to throw 56 pounds, so uh, I've, I've got the go. strength. You know, I've got the strength. Yeah, I I have the same problem in another way. I'm overly good looking. Oh, yeah. Well, we do that. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so Rob doesn't need to spend much time with repetitions in the mirror, you know. Yeah, he needs to get away from the Prettying himself up. (laughs) Well, I I like to think I'm I'm pretty okay with my strength. I I spend most of my time on technique. Um, I've actually, you know, not really done much strength training in the last few weeks, you know, with peaking for the trials and... I last week was my first real workout in a few weeks, and so I I, I still threw over 51 in my heavyweight in Portland after a couple of days of training, but that was just just technical training. I wasn't really worried about speed. I wasn't worried about um, my strength. Just getting my feet to land where they needed to be at the right time. And I think that if you can, you know, if you're sound technically, you know, the strength and the speed is going to just work its way in, and and you're still going to get that that great you know, drive, the great sprint, the, you know, the arm strike, everything's going to come back, but just at a different level. So you guys are both veterans, though. So if you guys are veterans on, just, if you guys are on opposite ends of the spectrum then, you know, Phil's a brute with no skill. Yeah. (laughs) And and you're tons (laughs) tons of skill, but, you know, there are times where you need to back off on the strength. What about a beginner? Where do you draw the line for someone like that? If somebody comes in and, you know, they're new, so they really have no skill, but they also don't have a lot of muscle mass, or and you're, they're just intrigued. Where, you know, well, how do you I really think them? that just throwing the implements is going to make you stronger. That too, yeah. Um, I can tell you what I got going on. I've got my people coming in, and I've got three people that are throwing now. And generally, I have them come in, and they do two lifts, and then they go throw. And that's three nights a week, and then one or two other nights they just throw. So we do very basic work. Okay, you come in, you're going to do four sets of deadlift. And then you're going to do some pressing, and then so they're in the gym 20 minutes, and then they're out throwing. Oh, okay. So we get some basic I think that's, strength that's working. Plenty, yeah. And yeah, and then okay, now go throw. Because like she said, it's it's not like they're throwing they're throwing something heavy. So, um, but yeah, I mean, both of these people have the problem where like my guy, he, he can hit positions with the lightweight, but then you get that heavyweight, and it's a big difference, you know. And just having the strength to to move around with that and not let it kill you is is something you got to have too okay but, let I mean, me follow up then with i know i'm asking you guys lots of questions but so as a follow-up are, are you are you guys are you telling me then that what you do in the weight room doesn't have a, a ton of transfer without the specific skills practice you know what i, mean? I think it's a, a great way to help maintain mm-hmm. i think it depends uh, on the event help. Mm-hmm. go ahead oh go ahead i'm listening I was just going to say, I think I think it depends on the event, too. Like me, with my strength background and zero throwing background, I came out and I did automatically did well on the hammer and weight over bar. Where my feet are planted, it's more 
of a, a linear movement, but then you get me spinning in circles and stuff, and I was like a fish trying to fly. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Yeah. It didn't happen very well. So I mean, weight over bar is kind of like if you have an experience in deadlift and some Olympic lifts, you're you're gonna probably do pretty well. Um, that makes sense. And yeah. and for some reason, the hammer it was the same way for me because it's a little more linear. Um, I think the average person and probably the average strength athlete too needs to. You don't realize the core mobility you need, the rotational mobility. Um, that's what I lack. You know, I'm like, I'm used to being locking down and like, I need to not move and now I need to move. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's one thing I do find with a lot of athletes who have a powerlifting background is that they're used to just having their feet flat on the floor uh-huh. and just moving in a singular plane. You know, it's not that rotation, it's like, like a rotating cinder block. It's that just, it doesn't move. <laughs> it just yeah. like flops around. Yeah. Uh, so I find that that's, that's difficult to transfer. Yeah, me trying to put my left shoulder over my right foot is like Lonnie trying to do yoga. You know, it's not pretty. It's not going to be Now, Rob would be pretty. Rob's, Rob oh, Rob is, oh, yeah. he, he already said he's handsome. <laughs> oh, well, there, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what do you think about Olympic lifts, Adrian? Where do you throw those in? Where do you think uh, those fit into a... Well, I definitely had to depend on them this year just because I couldn't, I couldn't back squat, couldn't front squat, I couldn't do my jerks. Uh, so it was one of the major ways that I, I stayed, you know, strong and, and fast. Um, I'm a big fan of my Olympic lifts just because I, I felt that it made me stronger and made me more, it kept me athletic. Um, I think there's a benefit in the Highland Games. I know some people are, like, against them, whether Highland Game athletes are against them, just because um, they don't find that it's specific enough, which I don't I don't see how that would be, only because yeah. everything in throwing is with the hips. Yeah. And and the arm is just an extension of the implement, you know, and for weight of a bar, you, it's hips. You know, for hammer throw, it's hips. The, the, the stone, it's hips. Everything has the hips involved. Mm-hmm. So more I can actively engage my hips in uh, an Olympic lift, uh, the better my throws will go. Do you do power or the full version? Uh, power. <laughs> power, yeah. No, I just, power. I think, I honestly think for most athletes, aside from Olympic athletes, it's probably the smart way to go. You know, it's uh, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to, you know, if I'm going to catch down a full squat, I, for one thing, I don't think I'll get out of it, but, um, yeah. I'm never in that position when I throw, so I try to mimic exactly. you know, that, that, the depth that, that, that I'll throw. You know, because, I mean, when's the last time you, like, went full out in a standing weight over bar and then squatted? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not mm-hmm. happened. I've never it's done all, that. <laughs> it's all just about pure hip extension. So, I mean, and, and mm-hmm. I, honestly, I mean, the average athlete, I mean, even if we get out of throwing and we get into football and stuff like that, I think it, it breaks it down. It's a little easier to teach, and you're getting 90% of the benefit. Because all we're looking for is that hip, like you said, the hip drive and the hip strength. So you guys are stimulating the classic sort of professor thing with me, like the textbook thing. We, you know, we, we talk about a, a muscle or a group of muscles only get stronger in the range of motion that you work it. And you guys are sort of looking at that from almost the opposite angle, which is, listen, we only want to work it. We only need to be strong in this range. Why are we drifting way outside this range? Yeah. You know, in the weight room with something you know we don't need. I don't know. So. Well, and I think what Adrian was touching on, there is transfer. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why, you know, if well, you have somebody walk in, you know, you get those freaks that walk in the weight room and they've never touched a bar. And they come mm-hmm. in and, I don't know, the guy can deadlift 405 the first time he ever does it. Well, something got him there. You know, something in his life made him, that he did, aside from deadlifting, made him pretty good at deadlifting. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing, There's there's, that's why I think, you know, the Olympic lifts, I think your basic barbell lifts, overhead pressing, deadlifting, squatting, it's going to transfer. It just has to. It doesn't have to be the exact lift to have it have an effect, a positive effect on on other things in your life, you know, if that makes any sense. And I, and I know there's some athletes who have injuries or, you know, if the areas that overhead is just not possible. The high pulls are, are great. You know, it still gets that hip extension mm-hmm. and you you know, just feel that power from the, the ground up, which is yeah. what you really want. You want to make sure that you're generating that. And so, yeah, it's, I, I think that, I think everybody should be doing elliptic lifts in some form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, they're, when they're throwing. I think it's very beneficial. I mean, I think especially with 
one thing I find with new people and then power athletes, I guess, is they they're definitely new people. They're they're just not fast at all. Mm-hmm. They're in their daily life. They never we we were very monotonous and we kind of do everything. I've got to pick up a fifty pound bag, so they give about fifty one pounds of pressure. You know, and they, they don't exactly know right, how. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't know how to generate a lot of force, and and that practice with the Olympic lifts can give that. I mean, you're just teaching them the Olympic lifts. I have people, and it's like, uh, now show me how to do it quicker. <laughs> you know, and they just don't know. Yeah, it's motor learning, and it's, it's learning how to how to turn that stuff on very quickly. So, I don't know anything else, Lonnie, because we're running low here. No, nope, that oh you guys satisfied my curiosity. Okay. Well, Adrian, we're we're pretty much out of time. If uh, we love having you on, it's it's been a blast. Oh, Keep great, us. thank you. I really really interested in the cortisol talk. I, I wish I would have caught a little bit more of that. I because you were on the because you were on the show today, you get complimentary pizza from Phil. Yeah, yeah, we'll send that oh, right on. I, I have to have gluten free though. That's okay. Oh, he, he can set you up. Oh yeah, he's on it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you Rob's number. He's my secretary. He takes the, okay. the, the calls. And then he'll send it right over. So. <laughs> no, let, yeah, definitely keep us informed what you got going on. Um, well, coming definitely. Up. And uh, just uh, tell everybody out there in the Highland Games world hello. And maybe I'll be back someday and throw poorly. Oh, I'd love to see you. <laughs> Get maybe out there. Let's, let's go back to Arizona. I love throwing in Arizona. I know. I'd like to November. go back to this next year. I'm going to go, and I think I'm going to try. I jacked up my shoulder, so I think I'm going to try and throw in McPherson here in Kansas in September okay. and see how things go. And then I'll probably drop down to the B class just to get back in and uh mm-hmm. it'll be my first event in like two years so swallow my pride and go back down there and have fun in the b class and uh come on back at it so well thanks a lot and congratulations on everything uh getting married oh, thank you. And, and, and all that so oh yeah you know what that year <laughs> you made you made millions of single men jealous or unhappy when you got married. <laughs> oh, seriously. Oh, I don't know. I got myself a good one. So there I, you I go. Like that. That's a good thing. <laughs> so we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, gentlemen. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do... The professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes. Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter- literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. 
If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.